As a leader in advanced HVAC technologies, Mitsubishi Electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort, and wellness, with a focus on personal comfort and prosperous communities. Mitsubishi offers a variety of indoor options, including high-wall floor mount, duct handlers, and extremely popular one-way ceiling cassette. Climate systems are great for a single room or the entire home, providing 100% capacity to minus 5 degrees. A full range of control options including Wi-Fi, touchscreen, and thermostats, and simple remotes are available to meet every customer's needs. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. For more information, go to MitsubishiComfort.com. Dick Foster is president of Zone First, the first and oldest manufacturer of zone damper control systems. He's an industry veteran of almost 50 years and active in most HVACR industry associations. Welcome, Dick. Good morning. Mark Madison here on Books and People. Today, I'm excited about my guest, Dick Foster. Dick, we've known each other a long time. Yes, we have. Trying to think how long, at least 20 years, maybe. I'm trying to remember where was it like a comfort tech in like 20 it was it was zero, a zero tech. Two? Uh, it was a comfort tech in the early 2000s yes sir right uh, your buddy Mike Mike Weil probably introduced us or you were probably speaking and uh, oh I take that back well I'm trying to think because there is also a Hardy that you were at too so the one in Scottsdale yes sir yeah I remember that too that was a nice resort too many too many meetings <laughs> well you go to all of them that's what's crazy you're president of zone first but you've been in the, this industry for 50 years what did you start when you were nine uh not nine but close to it um when my dad starts the business you know you kind of grow up into it ah and, so you were uh, an sob son of the boss yes i am in more ways than one too <laughs> so <laughs> so how old were you when you were coming to work for your dad? Were you like 11 years old sweeping the shop or what? Well, no. Um, actually, he had an office in the basement of the house. And he had a subcontractor who built a lot of the products for us. Um, so he basically went out and sold it all while they took care of the rest. Um, but my first NHAW uh, meeting, which was before Hardy, uh, was 1969. Wow. So I was 12 at that point. Um, I think you might know another guy named Doug Young of Bueller Young Company, not the Lennox, Doug Young. And um, so he and I, I told Doug that I think he's my oldest friend because uh, I don't know anybody else that I keep in touch with from 1969. That's crazy. So that makes so, you and I the same age, which is interesting. So Yes, but you have me by height. I might have you by handicap. Yeah, but you're better looking. You have more hair, so. <laughs> That's for sure. It's your humility I admire the most, I think. Thank you. I appreciate that. I am <laughs> humble. It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Well, yeah, when you're this good, it's really hard to be humble. I know. I get exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, so you have a son. Is he in the business? Um, you know, you met him. I don't know if you recall. I do. Yeah, uh, handsome kid. I remember him. Yeah, well, he has, the, he has your hairline right now, too. So um, he actually uh, might be joining me uh, shortly. Uh, a few years ago, uh, 
you know, we talked about it when he got married. He said, well, I got to think about it. If I think about it, I think the answer is no. And then all of a sudden at Christmas time, he came back and said, hey, you know, not thrilled where I'm at and the big company world, et cetera. So um, uh, we're actually going to be talking about that this weekend. Oh, that's great. That's that would just be a dream. I mean, my kids all do something different. Uh, they don't I don't think any of them are going to follow me into the business. But what a what a gift that is if he can make that work. Yep. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, so many people that I know, Doug Young, Feeler Young Company is now on fourth generation. Um, uh, at that point, there's, um, you know, G.A. Larson Company. Um, I got a guy, Jim Luce, uh, Luce Robin Case. He's got his kids in the business. That's now going to third generation. So, um, you know, I, I call our industry pretty incestuous. Well, it is. And I think contractors, too, specifically, I'm going to guess like 30 to 40 percent of them sure. have kid, kids working in the business. Easy. Yep. Yep. I, I remember was reading the book uh, Rosenberg um, down in San Antonio. Yeah. Uh, again, my, again, through the wholesaler side for sure. Bobby Ring was second generation. He's got his son Tommy in it um, at this point. Ray well, I know Marty and David and Dursky. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Those guys. So. Marty's been doing this for I don't know fifty years, long time. Yeah, just like you. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. who are your mentors coming up? Uh, my mentors coming up. That's a good question. Um, obviously my dad, um, at that point, um, he ended up getting sick. So uh, I ended up running the business. So I kind of had to do a lot of trial by fire and learn on my own, actually, as things came along, uh, honestly, uh, it was people, people in the industry. Um, again, Doug Young, I would point out is going to be an old friend. Uh, another guy who you might remember, John Elin who worked yep. for contracting business um, well. 30 plus years ago. Um, oh gosh, might even be 40 now. I think about his uh, uh, early 80s um, at that point. I met him and, when he was uh, working for Alex Carney at contracting business. Well, and I met John when he was working for Honeywell. Um, uh, and he was in Albuquerque, back. New Mexico, and in charge of what they called the T7300 thermostat. I met him <laughs> in an ACA uh, meeting. And there were there are a bunch of guys, uh, again, that uh, while I was involved with Honeywell, this is long before um, this guy, Don Flam, uh, who, again, uh, got introduced to my dad. Actually, there's a guy, Dick Foster, who worked at Honeywell uh, many, many years ago, too. He and my dad were buddies. Um, Dick eventually retired a little older than my dad. And um, but again, some of the Honeywell guys, guy Don Flam, uh, John Sedgwick, John Elan. Um, really smart guys. And that's how I ended up having an alliance with those guys, um, for sure. Um, and then even a couple of the other, uh, like I say, wholesalers, uh, as well. Um, at that point, there was a guy, um, Arthur Franklin and his dad, um, Ed Franklin, a, a local wholesaler as well, too. So, um, actually Arthur got me involved with the group called SOBs. If you're familiar with that, there was actually an organization for that. <laughs> so. well that doesn't surprise me i mean you know yeah they had sobs dobs which are daughters of the bosses and then slobs son-in-laws of the boss that makes sense mm -hmm. i read a book years ago called you can't fire me i'm your father <laughs> and it was the pitfalls of you know the family mm -hmm. business sure when my dad and i were you know working together obviously uh and we needed to add another person so we hired, well, we weren't hiring or interviewing people. 
And this young kid came in and my dad interviewed him. And uh, my dad says, well, you know, you just said you know, on your resume here that you work for your father. And he goes, yeah, I found out father and son relationships, business relationships just don't work out. And um, I said, my dad said to him, don't say that too loud because my son's right next door. <laughs> so I can't believe he had the shit spot to say that. Did he know that <laughs> it was a father and son business? I, d I don't think he did because I didn't really I don't know if I may have just said hi to him and then passed him on to my dad in the office or where that was. So but I do remember that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, called take your foot out of your mouth because you have athlete's tongue. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So, so, so what books had an impact on you? You know, I will have to tell you, and you've asked me that question several times, besides the couple of yours that I've read, um, one minute managers, I was not a big reader. Okay. Um, and I, I went to Dale, my dad signed me up to go to Dale Carnegie. So, yep. you know, how to win friends, influence people. Okay. Uh, was definitely one of them at that point. Um, and, but then I started getting into more of the guys, the motivational guys on tape, Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, um, you know, selling um, at that right. point, see at the top. Um, uh, what was it? Nightingale Conant had a whole bunch of different books. And I usually got the tapes to listen to those. Right. Uh, at that Windshield point. University. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and then Earl, um, Earl Nightingale started uh, with his partner in Chicago, Vic Conant, and they mm -hmm, basically yep. pioneered the audio cassette industry. Yeah, they totally did. And here's the ironic part. I actually had a call from Vic one time, um, and I don't know how he found me, but apparently they had problems in their own offices, and they needed some dampers to control the temperatures because their offices were too hot and too cold. So you got to go out to Chicago and meet him? I did not. I just set them up with the product and then they got somebody local to install it. I may have recommended them. So, oh, that would have been great to say that was 40 years ago. Well, Earl was one of my mentors, even though he died in 1989. I had right. all his audio cassettes and I read his books. And I mean, I still listen to The Strangest Secret. I probably listened to it 100 times. Mm hmm. Yeah. So. Oh, that's that's great. And Zig, it really is true. Yeah, you can have everything you want. I mean, everything you want if you ha just help enough other people get what they want first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Zig was like a he was like a business preacher. He was. Right? He was. He was a preacher and a business guy. Yeah, you know? and a lot of those ethics and morals. It's amazing when you listen to people and the faith that he, they actually have themselves. Yeah, Zig could sell too, man. I remember watching him uh, sell a couple on a on the on a $49 investment to buy his audio cassettes and he spent like 15 <laughs> minutes like asking him questions and he finally sold them you know mm -hmm. and it was like you know if you, when you're selling books in the back of the room you don't have 15 minutes to talk to somebody right like right. give me your money I'll sign the book let's move on right yep yeah Zig's trust like trust me master trust me what you read yeah oh that's great we yeah and Brian Tracy's another guy that uh, literally changed my life with his audio program. Mm -hmm. He was the one that got me reading and keeping a journal. I mean, uh, other guys had said that, but he was the mm -hmm. first one to to inspire me to actually start reading like 60 to 90 minutes every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Brian. And, you know, I had the good fortune to meet him. He gave me a nice quote for my second book. He's a good soul. He's still out there doing it. He's got to be in his late 70s. 
Okay. Well, we're not too far behind. No. <laughs> I think it was Bernard Brutz that said an old guy is somebody who's 15 years older than me or more. Yeah, exactly. So that's no. the... Uh, we'll so I was going to ask what your parents did, but I already know the answer. Your dad, what did your mom do? Uh, well, she supported my dad. Uh, I'll give you the quick history of the company, okay? Yeah. Um, you know, my dad actually was in the Merchant Marine in World War II. He and my mom met in Times Square on Halloween, 1943. Uh, he was in the Merchant Marine. She was in the Coast Guard. And that they were at the out-of-town newspaper stand, which is where the Armed Forces Recruiting Station is right now. And um, so he was picking up Chicago papers. She was there with a couple of her coasty girlfriends. And uh, so he ended up talking them into having a drink or something. And they got married five weeks later. Wow. And um, so a whirlwind both, romance. Very much so. World War II, different time of day. When I grew up, I said to him, I said, hey, if I go to Times Square, and this was mid 70s uh, when I figured out this story, can I go pick up a girl and marry her five weeks later? And uh, if you know anything about New York and Times Square, that was not where you wanted to meet women. Well, you could. You just have to pay for it. Uh, not the point. right kind of place in the 70s no. to, to meet women. Yeah, no, not at all. One so, generation has um, sure changed fast. Absolutely. And so my dad got out of uh, after World War Two, actually sell it, started selling a um, what was it subscriptions for magazine subscriptions for a magazine called Domestic Engineering, which was the predecessor to Contractor Magazine. Wow. So he had to go out and sell. And this is how he learned how to sell. Uh, he said, try and go sell a plumber who quit school in eighth grade because he didn't like to read to sell him a magazine subscription. <laughs> and in 1946, he didn't have a company car. Uh, he had supposedly claims like 11 states, you know, but he was getting on a Greyhound or a Trailways bus out of Chicago and going to Keokuk, Iowa, Peoria, Illinois. You know, and in those days, you didn't even have Holiday Inns per se, and people were just getting telephones. So the Yellow Pages was his um, was his contact sheet or his prospect list. He'd go in, he'd rip out all the Yellow Pages for the plumbers in town, and then he'd had to walk from plumber to plumber because there Shoe weren't exactly cabs in those towns. Yeah, and he says after you've walked a couple of miles, and of course plumbers get up early in the morning, so because they're out, you know, by eight eight thirty, um, you know, and then he got a long walk to the next plumber. You know, he had to come out, overcome objections just to cool his heels at that point. And I guess he was somewhat successful because then he became, uh, they told him he could sell advertising. So then he learned all the advertising guys, or I should say the manufacturers. And uh, one you might be familiar with um, was J.R. Smith Drains yeah. um, at that point. And this was kind of even before Mad Men, you know, so he ended up creating um, the ads for these people. And that led him to actually becoming uh, his own ad agency uh, where he did advertising. Um, who was it? Uh, did you ever hear of the Xtrol expansion tank made by a company called Amtrol? Um, it expansion eliminated tanks water. Are a Northeast thing, Dick. North, definitely a Northeast thing. But they're national, okay? And they're huge right. these days. Right. Um, but um, again, um, you know, water was a big thing, water hammer. Uh, so the X-Troll expansion tank, he actually came up with the name for that. So he always said, anything with a troll on it, I probably got the name in. You know, so our old company used to be called Troll Attempt before I sold that to Honeywell in 99 uh, at that point. So he went from, again, selling subscriptions to selling advertising to being in the advertising business. And then how he got in zoning, one of the companies 
made what the first hot water zone valve on the market for hydronic heating. And but he moved into the house I grew up in and had forced air. And uh, he said, well, if you can do it for hot water, why can't you do it for forced air? So he basically took a zone valve motor, took a warm air register he picked up at a local hardware store, my brother's erector set parts, and put a little linkage on it and took it to a local contractor, uh, a guy in Clifton called Ben Jaffe. At, um, can't think of his company name at this moment, uh, but said, hey, what do you think of this idea? And the guy says, well, I got a house right now. It sounds like a good idea. But what you need is a good zone damper because you might have four or five registers in a room and that can get expensive. So he pulled a, a manual damper off his shelf. My dad motorized them. And there we went. I uh, took it to the company that was making the hot water zone valve. They added it to the line and started making them. And then they got bought out by another company. And so they sent my dad to Chicago to see a company called GW Berkheimer. You might be familiar with that name. I remember, yeah. 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 And so he had to... Uh, impressed them because Chicago was a forced air market. And they basically told uh, my dad basically went out, pitched, came back and they told my dad, no, we're not going to take it. So my first thing, my dad was picked up the phone and called the guys at Berkheimer, I guess went back out and saw George Primich and Mike Strillich. And I'm um, trying to think of the other Berkheimer boys and, you know, sold them. And they ended up being one of our biggest customers at that point. So he had to really he, teach he them how to build and work. He was a very much a pioneer. Yes. Wow. He created, he found a need and filled it. Found the need, filled it, named it, marketed it, sold it. Um, you know, a lot of guys out there with great ideas, but you got to be able to get it to market too. But his background, having the shoe leather, the trains mm -hmm. and the walking and all that, and then the subscriptions, it, it paved the way for him to sell something that he was passionate, passionate about, about that he created right you know he was solving a problem people always have rooms that are too hot too cold which they still do to this day right um and you know and the best thing that ever happened to us was the so-called energy crisis in the 70s you know when all of a sudden gas got up to you know, almost a dollar a gallon then um now we wish it was a dollar a gallon um <laughs> you know so if we're not heating and cooling the whole house we're going to save a lot of money i remember getting uh filling up my tote goat at 29 cents a gallon Mm -hmm. it's like a big mini bike right not right. quite a motorcycle but not quite a mini bike right yeah uh yeah it's crazy now what a great story though i didn't know that about your dad how long did he live when did he pass? He, um, he passed in uh 95 um in the mid 60s i think he was around 45 he did have a heart attack uh he did smoke a lot um he was certainly a fun guy um I remember a lot of people said, yeah, yeah, we're at a trade show or a convention, you know, and next thing your dad's inviting me to dinner, you know, and then next thing you know, on the way out, he saw three other people and everybody went to dinner. So, um, you know, definitely the three martini lunch and uh, et cetera. Um, so after he ended up having the heart attack, he had to quit smoking, put on some weight, got a little heavy, um, had a cerebral hemorrhage. Um, and when he was 57, uh, basically he bled into the brain. And he was out of it for three months and he should have been dead. And that was basically when I had just started working for him. And I ended up running the company at 19 uh, at wow. that point and uh, learning very quickly, um, you know, how to read financial statements. Um, um, and eventually I ended up setting up our own manufacturing, got out from underneath the subcontractor who's actually a competitor now. But um, so you got tossed in the deep end of the pool at a pretty young age. 
Exactly. So, you know, and I, again, it's not an excuse, but it's like, um, again, trial by fire, learned hands-on experience doing it. Um, the good thing was I had, and I have to say, you know, from 1969 through, you know, this was 77, you know, it was eight, 10 years there. Um, you know, I knew the people, I knew the customers, you know, I, they, a lot of them remember me as a bratty little kid. And all I did was get taller at that point. And so, um, and my dad had great relationships with him. So that, you know, basically put me right in there on a par with him. Um, and I was welcomed to any wholesale in the country. Yeah, that was awesome. So and many contractors. So you'd said you sold your business in 99. So what did you do after that? Uh, Honeywell bought uh, the Troll Attempt business. We sold the assets of Troll Attempt. We made the dampers for them. They gave me a manufacturing contract. Um, a couple of years later, they broke it, but that's another deal. And I just came back uh, and under another name, which was the zone first name. And we still had the manufacturing factory. So uh, I just kept right on what I'm doing. Not everybody was thrilled to work with a company called Honeywell. And I'm not trying to bash them, but that's just the big company thing. And uh, so I just uh, went on and started doing my own thing. And the key thing is when you go back into business and you're going to compete with somebody, especially with a, you know, the 800 pound gorilla, how do you be different? And that's always what I wanted to do is and have done. You know, how do we make this different? How do I make a product so it's contractor installer friendly and we can put it in any home? And that's always my focus. Um, real quick, zoning is not popular. Um, there's 12 to 14 million furnaces, air conditioners, and heat pumps these days. Um, and there's less than 500,000 zoning systems sold. Um, a lot of that is new construction. Go into any contractor, you call five contractors in your uh, Seattle area and I tell them you want zoning in your house and they'll all look at you like, well, that can't be done. Don't know how to do it. Oh, you know what? Really costs too much. You don't want to do that. We'll put in a mini split instead. So um, the big challenge with zoning is guys don't know how to do duct work um, and they're not electrically capable either. Um, they're lucky they can put in a thermostat most times. And so those are my challenges. So I'm trying to make that easier for them every day. So you're self-employed. When you call in sick, you know you're lying. Yes, exactly. I'm playing golf. You're the worst boss you ever had. So what advice would you offer to the self-employed since you've been doing this for 50 years? Um, love what you do. You know, um, I, I can't think of anybody who hasn't been creative um, and do and doing their own thing, starting their own business. They love what they do. They love a challenge. I love a challenge. Um uh, I don't like people to say no to me. Um, so there's always, you know, no doesn't mean no. It maybe means not now. Um, and that's happened a lot. Um, you know, you'll get pissed at my competition and then you'll come crying to me uh, at that point. Um, so it's just how do I how do I get to yes? And I'm trying to think of, you know, somebody out there uh, was how do you how do you get to yes or one of those books? And I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. I just can't remember it at the moment. William Yuri, um, getting the yes, getting the yes, exactly. You know, so that that's basically my uh, been my philosophy. How do I get them to yes? I walked into one wholesaler a long time ago, and uh, they were kind of crying the blues because the insurance guy had just been in there, and the health insurance was going up by you know a hundred and some thousand dollars. And I said, I can solve that problem for you. And he looks at me like three times and said, What do you mean you can solve that for me? 
I said, well, it's very simple, okay? If you would start selling zoning, okay, let me come in, teach your guys, you know, I'll get you to half a million dollars. So, you know, you'll offset that $100,000 and even make more money with me. So all I want is your time, okay? Let me teach your guys how to sell zoning. That's it. Uh, Troke spoken like a true salesman and, a, yep. and an SOB. No, but, you know, how many other guys come in and sit there and say, hey, I am going to solve your problem for you. Your costs are going up someplace else. You know, uh, let's come up with a way to get around your costs. OK, yeah. you may not be able to solve that cost problem. OK, because that's going to go up. But I can help you make more profit. Yeah. What if you I can help you increase that. your sales by 30 percent? Do you exactly. think that would cover the increase in costs? Yeah, I think so. Well, and again, you know, zoning, as I say, it's a different product. So I'm not competing with many of the products he's already selling. So I'm not trying to throw out one competitor, a flex duct, and bring in another. Okay. Right. Uh, it's not a commodity type item, although some of my competitors treat it that way. But again, you know, it's something that's not being sold right now. So it's so all new business. What's, what's the square footage kind of break point where you start to see the huge demand for zone? Is it 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 square feet? I mean, obviously, um, in a large I, house, six, seven okay. thousand square feet, you're going to need a ton of it. You need multiple units. OK, right. you know, here's what I say, you know, and there was a guy. Oh, I wish I could think of his name is down in Arkansas. Jim, Jim, somebody Mountain Home, Arkansas. And he actually wrote an article about zoning. He's a good customer of ours. He says the only home that can't do that, you don't do zoning is as a single room. OK, think about this. Everybody's got driver and passenger temperature control in their house, in their car, right? Right. Nobody has a home that's smaller than a car. So the car dealers are selling more zoning than HVAC guys. So that's a big thing. You know, is there a break point in a home? You know, people, multifamily. I'm not in multifamily a lot because they're small apartments. Uh, the guy who builds it's also the landlord. So he doesn't care about comfort um, for the homeowner or the occupant and the, the renter at that point but you know you travel like i do i so many times and when i used to travel with my kids the kids would be out in the living room at the residence inn where the thermostat was and wife and i go into the bedroom and close the door and it's hotter in the bedroom but the kids are freezing you know because right. i've got the right. thermostat down to 60 degrees at that point so and those are small places so again you know different rooms if you got a different room you got a different exposure um zoning works anywhere it doesn't have to be a particular size at that point or it your just car analogy is a good one though because right. anytime i get inside i never drive when i'm on the road somebody's usually driving me first thing i do is adjust the temperature on my side right exactly yeah. you know especially when you're getting the sun beat on you and the person driving isn't and if you're like me you know the bigger we are the, the sweatier we get um at that point the other analogy is you got a light switch for every room of your house OK, right. but you only have one thermostat. Where do they put the thermostat? I always ask that when I do the training. Where's the thermostat in your house? It's in a hallway. How often do you live in the hallway? You don't. You know, you're hoping that the air from one side of the house and the other mixes together at the hallway. Well, I won't say you're hoping that's what happens. You know, the sun rises in the east, sets in the west. So in the morning, you get all the sun in the, uh, on the east side, west side, then all of a sudden the switch, situation changes. So you could easily have a room that's 80 and another room that's 60. But when it comes together at the thermostat, it says it's 70. So now you're not going to do anything. Right. And uh, 
So that's how we solve that problem by putting thermostats where people live. Because everybody's different. Exactly. You have a, exactly. a skinny woman and a, and a large guy. They have two yep. very different yep. uh, ideas on what's comfortable. There's a mattress company that's selling your mattress that you can have two different temperatures with the mattress. Okay. And that's a three or $4,000 item easily. Okay. Right. Um, right. People are putting in mini splits, you know, in that, what do we call the frog? I don't know if you've heard of that expression, finished room over the garage, because nobody can get enough air out there. But if we zoned it and we put a damper to the living room and the bedrooms and push more room out to the frog, we don't need another unit. So in very simplistic unit. terms, Dick, it's really mm -hmm. about a thermostat for each area. Exactly. exactly. A light switch, if you will, for each room. And I, and actually, I just patented a very nice combination light switch and thermostat. So I've overcome the objection where the guy says, well, I can't get the thermostat wires upstairs. Okay. Well, you got a light switch upstairs. Pull out that light switch, plug in my light switch and thermostat. The power there at the light switch powers the little radio or uh, communication in there. And now I've got wireless communication throughout the house through a mesh network. Um, I can now send my signal to say, hey, I need to call for heating and cooling. And whether it be in the attic or the basement, I can control the dampers and move the air around to get the air to where it's needed. Are you calling that an L-stat? We call it, I call it a combination light switch thermostat. That's the model numbers in LST. The trade name is called Invisistat because it's basically invisible. Hmm. We showed this at the AHR Expo. Um, and, you know, one customer came by and says, oh, the people with the really big homes and got the fancy artwork, you know, and then you got an ugly thermostat sitting on the wall next to it. They're going to love that, you know, just for the aesthetics. It blends in. It's not a big, big, bulky thermostat that's got a light up screen. And in the middle of the night, you see the screen light up, you know, and gives you a nightlight in the room at, at that point. So it's flush. It's cool looking um, for a plug zonefirst.com slash bliss. Because it's blissful comfort at that point, room by room. And hasn't technology changed since the dial thermostat from the 60s? Absolutely. Absolutely. Pretty amazing. So let me ask you this. Is there a book in your future? Do you see yourself writing a book about the history of all of this? Because, I mean, that's you what know, I'm hearing I've, loud and clear. I've had a lot of people tell me that. You should write a book. And um, so I'm, neither, I'm not a reader nor a writer. I'm a doer. <laughs> um, but, you but know, it, I, I, I have penned the thoughts on occasion just to keep the history alive and things like that. So That's what I mean. Um, you well, know, I need. I guess I need somebody to help me ghostwrite. And if you hire a ghostwriter to write it, I'll hire a ghost reader to read it. There you go. <laughs> that's an old Jerry Seinfeld line. I thought that was pretty funny. That is funny. Yep, I remember that one. Well, so. you know, and and here's the thing. I mean, talking to you is like talking to a museum curator about the history of zoning and thermostats. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Is is, you know, that's interesting to me. You know, the the history. I'm reading a I'm, I'm rereading a book called The Book of Charlie. It's about a 109 year old man, and the guy was born in like 1897, right? So imagine being born and growing up in the Midwest where there's no electricity, sure. there's no airplanes, yep, right? Uh, there's there's no movie theaters. There's no. It's like 
he was he was around before all of that stuff happened and then to see the hundred year history and and right. the author does a great job of of offering up some fascinating uh, history about Kansas City and Kansas in general but it's just a phenomenal book uh, yeah. and I don't know I'm a big history guy anyway so those are things I mean, that are you you and I are very much alike um, I remember my dad and my mom's mom um, he always talked about her uh, and she lived to the ripe old age of I think 95 or 6 we know at one point she lied about her age he said, if you're going to lie, lie, buy, lie more than one year. That was the funny part. But uh, <laughs> she was born 1890-something. Um, she ended up, my mom's dad was a Spanish-American war vet. So she was collecting a Spanish-American war pension through, when did she die? I'll say mid-80s, 1985-ish or so at wow. that point. And, uh, but my dad always said, you know, look at Nai-Nai. Here she is. You know, she grew up in horse and buggy days. No yeah, electricity. Yeah. Uh, right, my dad right. also used the joke that when he and my mom first got married and they stayed in some apartment in New York City, um, she goes in, I guess, the first night to make dinner. And and she's in there for like 20 minutes. And then he's kind of like, well, what the hell's going on? He goes in there. She goes, I don't know. How, to, how do you light the gas stove? And my dad, growing up in Chicago, had gas. She grew up with a coal stove at right. that point. So She didn't know. Uh, she didn't know. Yeah, exactly. You know, how do you turn this thing on? <laughs> Where's the coal? All right. Last two questions because we're almost out of time. Uh, your favorite cigar? Um, I love them all. Um, I actually was just up in, uh, where was always oh, in Ireland. So I picked up a couple of Cohibas. Nice. Mine's got to be La Gloria Cubana. Okay. So. Uh, last question. Cl uh, what Closing thoughts. What advice would you offer contractors? Um, as I kind of said before, love what you do. Be excited to go to work every day. Every day is a challenge and throws you different curveballs at that point. You know, make sure you got good people working for you. You know, I've had the great pleasure of knowing a guy like Ray Isaac. You know, I think, you know, one of the best run companies in the world uh, in the HVAC business. Uh, who's your other buddy? Ken Goodrich. Um, and if we got a second, Ken told me a great story. Um, he said, you know, and this is going back to the seventies, I think, or maybe early eighties, somewhere along the way, he said he couldn't make a payroll and somewhere he found some troll attempt dampers in his, in his warehouse. And so he cleaned them up, made sure they worked and sold them. And he was able to make payroll that week, you know? And, uh, I said, wow, what a great story. I got to get him to give me permission to say it. I already said it, but, uh, at this point, um, but again, you know, we got to be inventive. We got to look at what we have around us and use what we got. And most everybody has the tools and don't be afraid to ask for questions, help either. Uh, I find that tremendously uh, important because people around us through the meetings that you do, uh, that you meet with people at the conventions, um, hardy contra uh, contractors at ACA. It's amazing watching these sometimes competitors. When I went to my local ACA meeting, how many guys would sit there and talk about, the stuff they solve their own problems or how they've solved problems that other guys have. And, you know, all you have to do is listen to the other guys who they've been there before you. Yeah. It's good advice. I, I spoke in March in Tampa and I think you were there and Ken, Ken was there and I didn't recognize him. Right. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. He'd lost like 50 pounds and he had a beard. Yeah. So I, yep. I walked up to him and said, Hey, Hercules, you know, what's going mm -hmm. on? 
And uh, he started laughing. And I said, is this your son? Would that make him son of Hercules? <laughs> right. right. And, and I literally didn't know it was him. And, and afterwards, he came up and got a book. And he said, you don't recognize me, do you? And I said, no, sorry, man. Hercules? I said, that's that's all I got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I'm sure he was saying, bless his heart. Uh, you know, I know you're a busy guy, Dick. And I, uh, and I, and I really appreciate you making the time. My last question is, what's your handicap in golf? um it varies going up and down i just came back from ireland as i said i couldn't hit a golf ball to save my life and fortunately the other day i played so i got down to my 15 that i'm normally at at this moment okay okay so not playing it enough to get it down and uh when i lay off for a little while it just goes up so but... i don't remember if it was churchill or mark twain but they said uh golf's a good walk spoiled right exactly i'll guarantee <laughs> you that was uh churchill so or I was thinking the other guy, Mark. Uh, oh, uh, gosh, who was the funny guy? Uh, W.C. Fields. OK, or Will Rogers. It could have been any of those guys. Yeah, exactly. So thank well. you so much for making the time, my friend. It's good to hear you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. As a leader in advanced HVC technologies, Mitsubishi Electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort and wellness. From electric cars to electric water heaters to electric heating and cooling, the future is electric. The demand for all of our electric heat pumps have never been greater. So there's no better time to join our community of premier contractors and grow your business. Here are some of the reasons why partnering with Mitsubishi Electric is a great idea. Mitsubishi is the number one selling heat pump in America and has been the industry leader for over 35 years. Mitsubishi offers local technical support and has a network of excellent distributors. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. To find out more, contact MitsubishiComfort.com. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day unless you have other plans.